Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Big news, peers. It's our fifth year anniversary and we're so excited to be celebrating by running a London podcast tour and interviewing the most influential entrepreneurs that London has to offer. Cheers to five years, peers. We hope you enjoy. Joe, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We are so excited to have you joining us as our fourth and final guest of our 2022 London podcast tour. Thank you so much for jumping on. Happy to be here. Yay. Oh my goodness. Fourth and final one for the UK. It's so cool to have you. Look, Joe. when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing in food tech and social impact and sustainability, I knew I had to meet you and have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. I was listening to you guys' podcast. It's amazing work you're doing. Oh, I appreciate it. Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Jo. Uh, I'm not actually from the UK. I'm from Hong Kong. And uh, I am a food campaigner, sustainability campaigner, and I work as a social entrepreneur. So uh, currently, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Kali, and it's a tech-enabled company. And what we do is that we're trying to eliminate all single-use packaging waste from the food sector. And what we do is that we provide reuse solutions that is all inclusive, that makes it very easy for caterers and workplace dining and canteens to not use any single-use packaging waste anymore. And on top of that, I work in the social impact sector. So I've worked a lot in um, kind of food redistribution, surplus food redistribution, and also on kind of like disaster relief, that kind of thing. So I try to get my hands on a bit of everything that I'm interested in. Absolutely. I love that. It's just so cool that you're hands deep in so many different projects, but I think Kali obviously is the leading one. And it's just so cool to see what you're doing there with the sustainability lens that you've taken. It's just, yeah, it's so, so interesting. And I can't wait to dive deeper into that with you in your entrepreneurial journey, Joe. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what was it like growing up in Hong Kong and how has it impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? I mean, I love growing up in Hong Kong. It is a busy place where you can do almost anything you want and there's an opportunity for you to do that. I grew up in a Catholic school, in an English school with my parents also went to Catholic schools and English schools, so it was really weird. We're really steeped into the Catholic side of things when we were younger. And then it's like when I was young, I need to curtsy at school, for example, with nuns running the school. I think for a big part of my youth, I was trying to break away from that because I find that to be quite 
constricting to like be bounded by a lot of different rules when you're in school. So my first thing that I try to break away from is that I fell in love with this traditional art form called Cantonese opera. And then I just like threw myself at it, no matter what other people say, and did a lot of promotional work. And that became my childhood. And that really enabled me to travel a lot to different places and let me see the world. And then from that, I find out that I don't want to stay in Hong Kong, even though it's really great. And there's so much things that can happen. I really want to see the world. And I think that is a big part of growing up in Hong Kong. It's like being conflicted of like being in a metropolitan city where there's so much to experience, but also with this really intense yearning in my heart to go away and see the bigger part of things because of the kind of environment that I grew up in, where there's a lot of rules that you need to follow. Mm-hmm. I find that so interesting in terms of the rules and how you felt restricted and almost like perhaps not understood as a person, you know, growing up in that environment, how did you navigate through that at such a young age? You know, did you even comprehend what was happening at the time or was it not until after that you had time to reflect and kind of make your decision to leave? I think I kind of know within it because like Hong Kong ultimately is a very elitist society. So even in the school, there's a lot of focus on certain students and certain achievements that you take that are verified as being good achievements, like learning piano, like getting the royal exam for the, the eighth level of piano. That's like the golden standard. And then when I learned Cantonese opera, people are like, oh, there's no exams to be taken. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> like, you can't get into better school because you did Chinese opera. Mm. And for me, that was a really weird thinking is that like you need to do things to achieve a certain goal in life. Whereas when I was younger, I really wanted to do things that makes me happy and makes sense to me and feels like I'm closer to a community or something. And so never getting that is like trying to stay away from trouble because there will be a lot of things I do like that will get me in trouble, like questioning the nuns why, like mm. why the Bible was written a certain way, which I did as a kid, which they didn't like. Uh, yeah. And then also trying very hard to do other things that makes me happy. And then trying to find out what exactly are the things about the thing that I do that that I feel a kinship to. Mm. I love that you bring that up because I think that's really the basis of this entire show, you know, following what you're passionate about, what you care about, and actually creating a business around that so it's sustainable for you. I think it's so interesting that you talk about this idea of elitism and playing piano in, in that culture is, is just kind of seen as that's the right way to go. And what advice would you give to our peers out there listening around breaking away from that traditional mold and being okay with that and following your own path? I think it's very important to understand that, yes, the people who want to draw that path for you have good intentions for you. They, they do if not love you, but care for you. And it's good to explore that road, like learn what you can about that road. But ultimately, they can't live that life for you. You have to live that life. And you need to reflect on yourself on whether you're okay with spending not just 10 years or 20 years, but the remainder of your life on a certain path that you're very unsure about. And the only sure thing about it is that maybe you'll have a higher quality of living, which is also not given. <laughs> it's like junior doctors in the UK, for example, paid very poorly. Yeah. So ultimately, you need to live for yourself and understand that those people might care for you, but they can't do the things that all the hardships on that road for you. So if you're going to be undergoing obstacles anyway, choose the obstacles that will lead the life that you would actually enjoy. Such 
valuable advice. At what point do you feel like you started to really enjoy the path that you were on? I think when I was about 16, 17, uh, I got into this IB program in a school called Mahindra United World College of India. And I went to high school essentially in this part of India near Pune, two hours away from Pune in the mountains. Wow. That is a biodiversity reserve. And the main purpose of the school is to A, you study with students from all over the world who are on scholarships. So it doesn't, they're like, they come from a wide range walks of life. And the whole target of the school is to celebrate differences. The ethos of the school is that through bringing people from different culture together and doing education together, we will be able to understand each other's viewpoints a lot better and then come up with solutions that will solve the world's problem. Wow. That school sounds insane. It's great school. Oh my goodness. Love that we for you. We have peacocks running around. Wow. I can't <laughs> believe it's very just noisy like, animals. <laughs> you're like, I love how you're talking about the noise of the animals. The only thing I'm thinking about is there was no common like language. English, how did you, yeah. yes, of course, like, but yeah. like, you know, what was that like in terms of communication? And what do you think when you take away a language, how can we better communicate with each other and not just use words? I think we quickly got better in English, first yeah, of all, to yeah. find like a common way of speaking. We have our own slangs and everything. So that really helped. We were forced to be there all the time. We're on the mountain 24 hours. It's a boarding school. So that really helped. And then I think like because all of us are going through this like academically vigorous program that is entirely in English mm. and then having that sense of camaraderie really helped us to communicate better. And also we had really good teachers that just guide us through it. That was really great. And just like we're 16, like it doesn't matter that we don't speak the same thing. Mm. Like we listen to the same music. <laughs> like There's one Britney Spears songs that we all like and we collected. And I feel like having that really loose sense of like open sense of like communication is like, I don't care that we don't talk that well, but like I mean, we're here already. None of us know what's happening. So we might as well go on a walk, you know, and then just go from there. I think that really helped. And then most of the people that we're communicating with locally, they speak Marathi. They don't even speak Hindi. So because we were kind of in, we're uh, on like a Mushi Valley, which is like villages. And then we're on the mountain near it. So yeah, approaching it with a lot of curiosity and friendliness and openness and like not trying to assume bad intentions mm. that thing helped yeah absolutely has there been a time recently where you had to take that same approach obviously this was 10 years ago now you were still in high school you know now you're we're 10 years plus down the road and you run your own company you know was there a time recently that you had to think back to those lessons that you learned back then about communicating with different people different cultures different beings I guess and if so how did you go through navigating that so I work as a sustainability like expert and I, mm. our companies in sustainability um, lots of people will echo of it but like the common everyday person is really hard to communicate with them of why they need to form this habit and what they need to do because for them it's like from a baby to now everything is convenient like all of the industrial you know revolutions and improvements is based on making life more convenient for the for everyone and then now we have this disposable habit it's like the most you know 
easy thing to do is to throw away things. And I feel like a big thing that we had to think that I had to think about in terms of business is like how to communicate with people who don't necessarily really want to change the lifestyle in order to be more sustainable, even though it is a really urgent thing that we need to do was quite difficult. And I think the way we approached it is, first of all, when we started the company, we were not really like in our room strategizing a lot. We had an idea. We scratch out the first prototype and then we immediately went to the streets. So it was me and my co-founder went onto the streets to the street food markets and just talked to our favorite street food vendor about sustainability, which she doesn't really care about because she had one hour to make the business for the whole day to feed her crew and like pay the rent for everyone. Going from there, going from people who care the less, but then is working the hardest in like this industry and then working with the everyday consumer who interact in this way, in the same kind of way where they're just trying to get a lunch for work and then they need to go back to work. And then going around that, asking them for their opinions, trying to be very patient and then like not having this like really high ground of like, ooh, I know more about sustainably than you kind of thing and then having the same kind of like empathy and curiosity that we had to have when we were like in a different place and interacting with a lot of different people really helped and now like our solution is designed specifically for people who are caterers for example the way we design it is that the caterer doesn't really have anything that they need to do except for putting the food in a different box that is designed almost to be the same as the boxes that they're using so there's not really thing to change and then for the users we give them discounts we don't make it so that they have to pay for something because that's like the biggest barrier. If you're a normal person, it's like, why would I need to pay more for my lunch just so that I need to use it on a different box? And then like communicating it by like giving a lot of rewards and like collecting points. So we have like a reward system, a loyalty system every time you use Colleybox. That really helped. And I feel like all of that comes from that kind of experience of like communicating a very alien concept to someone very urgently. And the only way you can do it is trying to be very compassionate, doing a lot of like gain experience by making mistakes and also be really empathetic through like the everyday like struggle for us sustainability is our life is everything we think about every single minute of our day for them it's an afterthought on like a lot more priorities so you have to make it so that they can understand it i think that's so valuable breaking it down making it understandable and relatable i guess to to the everyday person for you you know you mentioned mistakes and and failures what has been your greatest failure to date do you think so before Collybox, i run a company called dayot and we what we do is really great we work with artisanal bakeries and then we work with a network of like 300 volunteers all over london uh, we collect these surplus baked goods and then we sell them the next day at uh, a lot of different um, kind of like offers and pop-ups and then the money raised is used to donate and support um, charities fighting food poverty so this was what I was doing before Kali it was very successful um, went very well but then the biggest failure is that I took on all of the responsibilities on mm. myself and eventually I burned out and I couldn't continue it anymore and that was like the biggest mistake is that I didn't know how to delegate back in the day I thought like every single thing I have to do it and like the schedule was intense. It was like every day in the morning until like 5, 6 a.m. to 11 deliveries. And you rest during the day. And then from 5 p.m. to 11, you coordinate all the collections and like pack it and then do it again the next day. Oh. And I did it for years. 
And then at the end, it went to the like I, I do it up until the lockdown, and I'm just like, I'm burned out. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to leave my house ever again. <laughs> I would like to stay here for the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't want to move from my bedroom. Yes. Thank you very much. I don't want to smell a loaf of bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please Done take with that. all of bread away from my diet. I don't oh. like cakes anymore. Yeah. I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cinnamon rolls. No. Yeah. <laughs> you can have all of it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. I think that would resonate a lot with, I mean, it definitely resonates with me. I think as entrepreneurs, especially we're very go, go, go next step. What else can we do? It's all on us. And, you know, I think this idea of just taking a step back, delegating where you can, maybe not everything in the early days because, you know, cash flow is tight, but I think it's just such a valuable lesson, you know, for you, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening about getting back up after burnout, continuing after burnout? I think we talk a lot about what can we do to prevent burnout, but we don't really speak to, well, I'm here now. Yeah. Now what? First of all, you need to be kinder to yourself. You, you need to know that it is not just you. It's like a lot of factors that contribute to either failure of a project or like a business not like going through like a down phase and it's not like doing as well as you want to. It's not all on you. There's a matter of things like currently we have the pandemic and the cost of living crisis. You couldn't control that. And that affects a lot of us. So like realizing it's not just your fault is very important. Secondly, like just looking back, you need to know, you know, like when you play sports, you need to look back at the tapes and then try to figure out what were the steps that you could have done differently that could have prevented that. I could have d- done differently as in I don't get so involved and do it every single day <laughs> yeah, and then leaving maybe three hours every single day where I'm not working. That's horrifying. <laughs> or like even taking a month off to reorganize everything. I think that's really helpful. I think like for burning out the best solution is really to take a holiday, mm. you know, Amen. take your mind off every single thing that you're working, go out. And then knowing that when you come back, you already have the experiences that you had. It's not for waste. You've learned something and taking the experience, you can go anywhere from that. Like there's, you didn't fail and then go back to square one. You moved, <laughs> you moved forward. It's just that you're taking a stop and maybe you're taking a different direction or maybe you're taking the same direction, but now you're like, equipped with all the knowledge you have like a rocket underneath you and you can do do it a lot better from now on I think those are those are my takeaway when I was doing that it's like it's not all my fault I need to take a break and I can move on from this I just think that's so valuable and I've recently come off a six-week break and it has been absolutely awesome talking about kind of you know, breaks and travel and whatnot. I mean, you've just lived everywhere. Oh my goodness, Joe! from the US to obviously starting out HK and, you know, now in the UK and India, you know, what has your time abroad and just kind of living in different places around the world, what has that taught you about yourself and I guess the world around you? I don't know what it taught me about myself, mm. except that I don't really care about everyday things. It's like, I can live anywhere. Any food is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't get sick very easily. So, yeah. great. Yeah. Um, about the world is, I think like we all have all these formed ideas about people and about why they make the decisions that they do without very intimate knowledge about it. For example, when I was in the US, I was in a very 
like conservative part of the, I was a Maine,、mm. so it's the whitest state in the U.S. It's one of the most deprived state in the U.S. It's not like the economic status is not great in the town that I was in. Like the best employment you can get is probably the local Walmart、wow. or like my uni, which is for a lot of people very hard to attain. And people were opening carrying, and for me that was terrifying. I came from no guns in Hong Kong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the police cut, like have a stick; <laughs> they don't have guns. And I think like it took me trying to become friends with the local people to learn this point of perspective, not agreeing with it. But knowing why they do that, and learning the story really helps me have a better sense of like what what can be done essentially, to have them not think in a very conservative, and sometimes hateful ways. And I feel like when we are all kind of sitting away in like a different position, it's very hard to. It's sometimes very easy to overlook that maybe like they were being taken advantage of by people. And that there there should be ways that we could reach them, and I think that applies to almost every single place that I've been to, where I might have very different like stereotypical thinking that is like perpetrated in media about all sorts of people. And when you go there, you just realize people are people, and people think the way they are because most people fundamentally want very simple things. It's like stable life, security, a job, things that they do that they like, that like makes them feel. A bit fulfilled and a family, and it is really bad that so many people weaponize that to turn everyone against everyone. It's very silly. I agree. I agree. I want to talk a bit about the business and a little bit about finance. You know, you talked about being in these places that there wasn't much in Maine, in India, and wherever else where you know finance and, and being able to survive and live just. It just wasn't as prevalent, you know. When it comes to business and starting out, what role does finance play? And for you, how did you go about navigating through the financial aspects of your business? I think I am a firm believer in bootstrapping in the beginning,、mm. and that even if you have an idea you believe a lot in, that you have to understand your personal finance first. So when I was starting, I was still doing my job, and then I was doing this part time. And I think for a lot of people, that will be the reality. And not a lot of people have the luxury of like diving straight into something, a hundred percent, and be able to do that. Do what you can based on the money that you have, based on the situation that you have. The only hindrance from you and your business is the first step. So you don't need to have the perfect idea. You need to go out there and find your market and talk to the people that you want to support and find out their problems. And then go from there, and then when you build like an MVP, when you have your problem statement and then a solution very clearly, kind of marked out, then you have a viable product that I'm pretty sure you'll be able to either get a grant or you'll get support from your friends, friends and family, get the first piece of money to really get it to the next stage. Take it step by step. Like very good advice that was given to me. In the beginning, when I was really in my head, it's like, oh, I want to start this big tech company. I want to solve all of this problem. When it's、mm. like, well, what can I do in the market? <laughs> this、yeah. one market、yeah. for ten people.、Mm. I think that's yeah. I think that's so so valuable. 
Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, Joe. This is just such, such interesting conversation. And I think the idea around the differences in people and bringing people together and understanding, understanding. people, I think that's It's not the even case, about agreeing yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You can disagree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's just so valuable. Has there been a time recently where you've completely disagreed with perhaps as a team member, co-founder, someone, and you had to navigate through that conflict how do we get better at doing that and getting to the point where we can understand that it's okay to have that difference of opinion? I love it when people disagree with me. I really like it, especially in my team when people disagree because first of all, it shows passion. Like it shows that we really care about this thing, that we have a strong opinion and we're not willing to be like, okay, fine, I don't want to argue with you anymore, bye. So I don't shy away from that. And the recent disagreement is that there are two very different directions that we're trying to take in our company, different ways that we want to track the containers, essentially. So we're considering, should we use NFC and RFID or, or tagging? Or should we like do computer vision or something like that? And the disagreement is intense. We <laughs> like mm. divided the company into two teams. And the way that we did it is that we have one day that we just set aside half a day. It's like, okay, everyone prepare your pros and cons. We're gonna have a debate. Like we're gonna just like argue this out. Argue it out. Yeah, yeah. Because we need to take a direction or we need to start prototyping a bunch. And then like it was a really great day. We have a great time just like arguing each other. It's like, no, <laughs> NFC for life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid computer vision is gonna take years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like it was really great to like have everyone, first of all, because you have all these like negative emotions that is built up. So it's great when it's kind of like, okay, this is the time for it. Mm. None of us are gonna take it personally. We're just gonna like duke it out. And then uh yeah, we go through it. And then in the end, we were like, well, I can see the pros and cons, but like this is for short term and that is for long term. And we're gonna prototype both of them in-house, like with cardboard, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. with with like cheap cameras, everything. And that's how we do it. And now we have like really great direction that we're taking, that we're very clear, we're united on it. And now we can actually have prototypes and we can like take it to the next level. Mm. Yeah. Love that. I love I love that you had a day to like yeah. nut it all out. Just it out. Everyone bring your issues to the table. <laughs> yeah. Like let's chat this out. Yeah. I think it's just so important as opposed to just keeping it in the background, people whispering, oh, this person thinks this, this person thinks that. You know, has there ever been a negative experience that you've had talking through things? Perhaps in your personal life, perhaps within the business? And if so, how did you navigate through the negativity that sometimes comes about with difference of opinion? In business, I think like most people can rally around sort of sustainability. So we're very lucky that we have like a, a very good goal for everyone. I think in personal life, like the biggest conflict I had is still with family. <laughs> You know, very traditional Asian family who is also religious wanted me to have a doctor still. And they're like, mom, like, not going to happen. Like, it's going to take me like 20 years to get there and I'll retire at that point. Uh, yeah. And we never really, like, agreed on it. And I think at the end, what took it is, first of all, time. Just like, sometimes there are some arguments and there are some difference in opinions that you can't resolve. And then secondly, like really trying to tease it out with my parents. It's like, well, I understand in your time, these are the stable careers to do. And for you, it was unattainable. Like you lost your father when you're 13. You have three brothers and sisters to put food school. There's no way that you'll be able to go to, you know, to become a doctor or go to the university and work out. And I understand it with all my heart. 
but also coming to like a consensus of like agreeing to disagree, which I think is like sounds so American. <laughs> it's like we agree to disagree, and <laughs> but just like understanding that again, like it's all about caring. We we argue because we're passionate about each other or about something, and passion is a good thing. And sometimes it's just understanding that and then putting it down, and understanding that there's no reservation, like. Sometimes not every story it like ends on a good note. It just ends on a note that is not a note. It just doesn't have an ending, mm. and you need to accept that. That's fine. Just let it go. I love that. Oh, Joe, this has been so awesome to have you on the show. To have you as our final guest of our 2022 London podcast tour. Oh my goodness, it's been so, so awesome. I've got two final questions for you because I am mindful of your time. But before I do ask them, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Joe, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, for showing us, you know, in particularly us young, ambitious women of colour, that if we have that vision, that goal and that dream and we want to go out there and pursue a non-traditional path, it is okay even though we may have pushback, it may not be easy. It won't be easy. And, you know, it is attainable for us. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Of course. So the second last question is, what are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Go to as many parties as you can. Uh, because that's the, that's the way you make <laughs> <I> friends. Like- <laughs> like, like, Go and party. No, yeah. sorry. Like, go to as many show-show things that you can. I know, like, I'm Chinese. Like, our, our thing is to be reserved and, like, not have opinions. So, like, that was, like, I hope someone is just, like, it's fine if you, like, look stupid. Like, it's fine. Just go to as many things as you can. Be stupid in front of people. It makes you more endearing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> make friends with them. Take their phone number and then follow up on that call. When mm-hmm. people were like, let's get lunch sometimes. You're like, when? Like, yeah. I'm putting it down on my calendar. Mm. Which day are we grabbing lunch? I don't care you're American and it's like a polite thing to say. We're getting lunch now. Because like those people, like the friends that you make in the most informal occasions are going to be your biggest supporters. And they're going to be like your network. They're going to be, they, can, they will be the most unreserved in introducing you to the people that they know that can help you and they will be like your biggest cheerleaders. I think especially if you're a woman of color and you're like a female entrepreneur, it's so important to like really put yourself out there. Like what is the worst thing that can happen? You splash avocado on your shirt? Like, Been there, done that now. Doing it now. <laughs> Let it go. It's fine. There's no image to uphold. That's an illusion. Mm, yeah. So true. So true. That was number one. Number two make mistakes allow yourself to make mistakes if you look at male entrepreneurs out there your counterpart the people who are raising millions in vc money and exiting like they allow themselves to make mistakes they they really like uh are confident in what they do and you need to be as confident if not more confident than they do like when people question you about what you do like you know yes be educated on what you do but like yeah, if they're wrong, just stop them in the tracks and let them know that they're wrong. And then like yourself also, like if you think you have like good basis to try something, do it. And if it fails, that's fine. Like what's what's going to happen to you? Nothing. Move on. Do the other thing. Fail again. Most entrepreneurs fail this first time. I did. 
I did twice. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So it doesn't matter. Like have a thick skin, thick thick skin. Go out there, put yourself out there, party or not. You know, <laughs> do a really you think like maybe silly project. You don't know what's going to turn into. So like we were collecting bread at the beginning, yeah. When we we're going to do Gali, we were handing boxes out to people, and it's like, please, will you use them? That's it. And then now it's a tech company. Like who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I hear you. Oh, Joe, such valuable advice. So the final question. Oh, actually, firstly, just thank you so much for joining us. It has been absolutely awesome. Final one of our London podcast tour. It's just been so, so cool to chat with you. And the final question is how we finish every single episode of our Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? What is the alternative you're going to do, right? If you don't pursue the thing that you like and the thing that you're most passionate about, what is the alternative? Do something that you hate, (laughs) you know? Will that make you happy? Like, I'm going to let something slip. Like I had a kidney transplant last year. Like I have like severe chronic health issues. For the majority of my life, I think I'm going to die young. So for me, it's like do the thing that you want and passionate about because time is in short supply. Like everything else compared to time is so invaluable. And you don't know what's going to happen the next day. So you need to decide right here and now. Like why would you do something that you hate? Why would you waste the only thing that is so in limited supply to you to do something that will make other people happy, to do something that vilify yourself in the eyes of other people. You only have to answer to yourself and answer to the things that you love and the people you love in a way that still is loyal to yourself. Because again, like, what, do, what have you got to lose? There's only one thing that you have to lose in this life and it's your life. And it's going to happen anyway. So you've got to do something that you enjoy or else. Or else. Oh, Joe, thank you so much. Wow, that was really, really touching. Thank you for sharing that with us. We have had an absolute blast. Thank you. It was really, really great to chat it out. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Peers.